I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be stage-worthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Nicholas Eddy is a performer and theater creator based in Toronto. He joined me to talk about the Seven City Fringe Festival tour of his solo show, One Night Only. He will be bringing that show to fringe festivals in Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Winnipeg, Kingston, London, and Halifax. Here's our conversation. Why don't you tell me about, uh, first off, how many cities are you doing uh, this show at? So we're going to seven cities, uh, starting in Montreal, and then we're moving our way to well, I'll just I'll just go through them: Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Winnipeg, Kingston, London, and Halifax. So we get a nice little stop at a few places in Ontario, which is great, and then we branch out a little bit. We don't go too far west, unfortunately, but uh, I'm excited to go to Halifax. I think that you're be- kind of doing kind of doing a little bit of like a, a C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah doing yeah. a a Canadian C. The horseshoe, the magic horseshoe. <laughs> yeah. The magic horseshoe. I personally, I love the 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 Montreal Fringe. Mm, um, nice. It's a, it's a party fringe. It's it's a great way to kick off a tour. So by right. doing your 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 fringe, starting your fringe tour there, it's a great spot to start. Awesome. That that sounds great. I mean, I I've done Montreal Fringe once before, but mm. uh, I think the 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 guy that I did it with, we just didn't get a very good venue, unfortunately, and. That we didn't get very good turnout. We were kind of like separated from everybody else, and it was a new venue, so nobody really knew about it. But uh, yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited. Man. That can be a really a real tough thing there. Definitely. Um, also, just because Montreal is not a flyering city. Yes, um, exactly. Don't line up, so you can't really flyer them. Um, right. If you do want to flyer, you kind of have to ambush people coming out of a show. All right. <laughs> yeah, you you're not even allowed to hand out uh flyers in Montreal. You have to they're like you have to get creative. Right. So, I don't know what we're going to do like yell at people in the street, I guess, something. It's tough. But to me, there's very few after hours uh fringe uh uh variety shows slash parties like the 13th hour. What's the 13th hour? 13th hour is oh, you've never So the 13th hour is the is the show that starts 
I guess at like oh. start at one to start at midnight. Anyway, um, after the fringe, um, it's sort of like a variety show um, oh. where every night um, there's like hosts, there's like music, there's like uh, snippets from other shows, interviews, that sort of thing. And then it's followed by a dance party that goes to like, I don't know, four or five in the morning. So, Whoa, that's awesome. I, I mean, I don't know if they've, I know they didn't do it during the pandemic. I'm All right. I, now they're back, back in full. Like, can't see them not doing it. It was one of the, the, the highlights. Even, even for me, an old, old man, um, it was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. I hope they, I, I, they haven't said anything about it. Maybe they're keeping it secrets or something. I don't know. I, I hope they, I hope they bring it back. I hope they do. I hope they do because it's, yeah. it's one of the, the, the highlights of, of that festival. Yeah, sounds. I know we jumped ahead and we didn't really talk about the show. So let's like take a step back. Because I got excited by the number of cities that you were going to. Because a seven-city tour is a pretty is a pretty significant tour. That's going to take uh, a significant part of the summer. Yeah. So um, it's pretty awesome. But let's let's talk about one night only. Tell me about the show. Um. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's a dark comedy. It's a one-person show. Uh, it kind of explores the potential perils of mental illness and anguish, and follows the journey of a person as he struggles with this big decision that he has to make before morning. So the entire play is set within like a 12 hour period as he's like staring down this big decision and all of his demons are coming to light. Uh, yeah. So that's it. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's a solo show. Yeah. Solo show. Yeah. And, uh, and how, uh, what, what's the inspiration behind this show? Tell me about, about, about how you came up with, with the concept, uh, uh, uh of one night only. Yeah. I mean, it, came from it came from a lot of things you know it 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 did start during the pandemic i don't really think of it as a pandemic show because it's stuff that i had been struggling with for a long while and i guess it sort of came from looking around in the theater scene and feeling like there wasn't a lot of talk about mental illness in the theater and it, i felt like i really wanted to bring some of that to light in in a very honest way not a way that is a trope or a plot device, but, um, you know, sort of paring down all of the other accoutrements on top of it and just really looking down at the source or, you know, creating a character that is attempting to look down into the source. Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of where it came from. And it's, it, you know, it's it's changed a lot. It's evolved in its lifetime. And there's been a lot of great people that have added their own voice to it. But that was really the the nugget that it started with. Nice, nice. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, uh, a a play rarely remains the same as when you first conceived it. So true. Um, and and if it did, like I, I'm almost like you didn't really must not have worked on it because I mean, <laughs> but the process usually an idea when you start when you start working on it, it's it's unformed mm -hmm. and it's imperfect and mm -hmm. it's it's like a, a, an egg and you have to like crack open that egg and add things to it and make an omelet you know it's yeah, like yeah. really went for the metaphor there um <laughs> it was great beautiful thank you thank you um so it in terms of like like creating this show and you you know you mentioned that it started as a you know in the pandemic what uh -huh. what was the writing process like and how was the revision process throughout the throughout the process Ooh, great question phil have you been doing this a while <laughs> um years nice uh, yeah, the, the writing process was, I, well, I think quite unique. I've, I've written, um, one other show before, but it never has gone to production. And this show is the first show that I've done that has gone to production. 
Um, and as far as my conversations have gone with other playwrights, it's this seems super weird. So basically, the show had the the way that I've been that I did work on it was I would just sit down at the computer every day and try to think of a scene. I would try to come up with something that was theatrical but also truthful to the story and the themes of you know mental illness and anguish and uh really delved down and investigated into it as best that I possibly could and put whatever came out onto the screen in front of me and um yeah that's that's how that happened so every day there was a, a new scene that was being written and I um just re uh, uh went went back again and again to the computer and tried to figure it out and then tried to put it together uh months after that so it, it was it was a very long process and there's there's a lot that was written that I didn't use because it just didn't fit the plot and the and the flow of the show but it it sort of for a while became almost pseudo vaudevillian as all of different pieces were sort of meshed together but i think we've created i and this this is a testament to the director Seper Raybod Seper Raybod excuse me he um he really was able to help find a structure and a flow for the show between all of these disparate ideas and scenes and created something resembling a story. One of the things that I'm often fascinated by uh, with people who, who write, uh, because as a writer myself, the writing process is fascinating to me because everybody comes at it differently. Even though there are thousands of books that are written about how to write, mm. nobody does it the same way. So true. And even, even a, like for me, I write different styles of, of, of plays and different styles of works in different ways, right? Mm. Um, when I write a solo play, I fill a notebook yeah. around the topic. Nice. And then I type it out and that's my first edit. And then I start to like arrange arrange it to see. And, I, and as I'm doing it, I'm like, who is this person? And the character sort of comes out of that. Um, when I write a play with a big cast, I start at the beginning and I work through to the end. So it's like... Nice. Or not even a big cast, like a cast. It's not just one person. So the writing process is is different uh, depending on the project. You mentioned uh, uh, having written something before. Um, uh, was it a solo play or was it like a, a multi multi actor play? That was a two hander, and I wrote that very quickly. I, uh, I again, I sat down every day and like tried to write a scene, but because a, a play like a two hander is very different from a solo show, you're you're writing as a story, like as you're saying, like. If you're writing for multiple people, you're writing a beginning and a middle and an end. So that happened over the course of two weeks. I just sat down in a cafe and I I wrote it, and I you know I I really I was like okay this this works I you know I did this so quickly and now I can edit it and maybe it'll be pretty good. And I opened it. I op I swear I've opened that document like maybe three times and I've tried to read it and every time I'm like this I cannot even begin to read this. It is so horrendous. And uh, yeah, so it's it's going to probably sit on the shelf forever. That's a tough one. I mean, that when you've got a piece that 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 you worked on, you can't bear to look at it. It's almost like, do I <laughs> let that live on a shelf and just ignore it, and and maybe like start working through the 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 the, the premise again, or is it now poisoned mm. in my mind? Yeah, yeah. I don't know I, this particular one. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I like the idea. It was like a, a reconnecting between uh, a son and a mother. And, you know, there's just like the, the 
the relationship. I, I, I'm just so interested in relationship in theater uh, between two people. And I like the idea of like the, uh, the relationship changing and going through many stages of flux as they get to know each other after being estranged for many years. So I liked the idea, but it just, I couldn't, I couldn't execute. I was too young, I guess. I mean, maybe that's what it will take. It'll maybe it'll take like 10 years before you can go back to it and like start to see something in it, which sometimes happens with a piece. Yeah. Yeah. True. Um, now as far as your, your fringe tour, you're doing the, the C you're doing like the Canadian C starting Uh in, in Montreal, working your way West and then back East again. Um, when you, uh, is this your first fringe tour? Yes. Yeah. I, um, I I've done fringe shows before, but this is definitely the first fringe tour, the largest tour, uh, that I've done ever. And I'm producing it all. It's, I mean, I do have an associate producer, thank God, but <laughs> it, the, Phil, I, I gotta be honest with you. I think I maybe have bit off a little more than I can chew. Um, we leave one week today for Montreal. So it's uh, coming right down to the wire and it's scary. You know, you, I, you, you will make it, you'll do it. You'll do it. Cause you, cause you just have to, right. You just, yeah, that's you know, true. after a certain point, especially when you're like out there doing it, you're on the tour, you just have to make it happen. Somehow. Yeah. And so you do. Yeah. Um, no, the, the, the fringe shows that you've done before, have they all been in Toronto? Um, yeah, I mean, I, like I say, I helped out a friend in, uh, Montreal a little while back. Uh, I think that was, I guess that was last year, actually. That feels like so long ago. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, otherwise I have just done Toronto fringe one other time. So um, exciting. It's so yeah. exciting to, to, uh, um, to experience the fringe culture in other cities. Yeah, totally. Um, it's, it's always, and Every and here's the thing that I think a lot of people who are just fringe goers don't understand. Each fringe festival is 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 not a marathon; it's a sprint. So true. So you sprint your way through a fringe festival, yeah, and then you leave, and you go to the next festival, and you have to do it all again. But all the rules have changed because you don't know if this city likes the same stuff as the last city. Yeah. So it's just constant. Yeah, I know. I, I That's something that I think about a lot, actually. This show, I think, is probably going to be rather divisive. Not intentionally sh- so, but just because it is a, a difficult topic to swallow. I think for a lot of people, like like I say, it's a dark comedy, so we keep it light and fun. But uh, it does deal with heavy themes. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I don't know how London, Ontario is going to react to this play, for instance. Like, they they might come out to see the show and be like that this sucks like wh- why why am i being subjugated to this whereas i you know i'm the the theater scene that i'm most familiar with is toronto and i feel like it m- might be received well here based on the people that i know but it's just there's a lot i don't know in terms of the the different dynamics in different uh, fringe festivals exactly you just then this is the thing is you just have to figure it out you arrive yeah. you do it you figure it out and that's that's all you can do yeah. Um, but it's exciting to 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 be able to to go to a new city and and experience that city and also to meet the performers in that city and mm-hmm. to really sort of soak that in. The connections that I've made that I made in 2012 when I did a fringe tour, um, like there's still people that that I very much love and 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 are very important to me. Um, nice. What so was that show, Phil? 
Uh, that was a show that I did with a uh, a, a theater company uh, uh, called Keystone Theater, and we did plays in the style of silent film. And we toured a show called uh, The Last Man on Earth, and we did Montreal and and uh, Winnipeg, Calgary, and Edmonton. Wow, that sounds awesome. It was a one person show. No, it was. Uh, we had like four four actors, one piano player. Oh wow, wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. It was pretty. Yeah, awesome. that that's. I feel glad that it's only it's just me and the stage manager that we need to find accommodations for and you know transport and everything because yeah a larger cast just seems like you're getting exponentially more difficult for every well it, i mean it, it is difficult those logistics are really hard especially now because yeah. after the pandemic fringe festivals are begging for billets right and they can't guarantee them and so people are people who you know in previous years where you might have basically been guaranteed a spot right. uh there's there's no guarantee so so budgeting to to get an Airbnb is part of part of the budgeting for a lot of companies now. Yeah. And but we just we had two cars and we just drove. So that sort of like solved that. It's just it's it's a lot easier to make money when you have like a solo show if it's just you and the and the stage manager. It's a little bit easier yeah. to on the finances. Yeah, but a little harder on the brain, but easier on the finances. That's yeah. true. That is that is the trade. That is absolutely the trade off. I think that's the trade off in most of the facets of life. You're trading no. brain for money almost always. No, that is that is that is incredibly incredibly accurate. Um, now, so I'm just looking at a couple of notes here. Um, sure. The, one of the things, uh, as as somebody who my solo show, The Commandment, is a, is a, is a dark comedy. Nice. Um, and it starts funny and then it gets serious, uh, in, in, in near the end. Hell yeah. Um, and the thing that I found about it, cause I want to talk about it because it, for me, um, it was, it was a cathartic show written to, to years ago, um, to, uh, to come to terms to, to sort of like deal with, with a death that, of somebody that had been really close to me. Mm. Um, and so, um, I fictionalized and created a show, but it was still something that was very, very close. And I basically very vulnerable on the stage, especially yeah. when you get to the serious stuff. Um, and sometimes even though we talk about vulnerability on stage, mm. sometimes it's, it's hard if it's more of your own thing, mm. right? Like mm. if it's something that you are close to mm. the vulnerability, although, you know, you're getting there and it's important to, to hit it. Um, it's, it can be very, uh, you can really feel naked in that. Have you, mm. uh, is this, is the topic of this show something that that is that is close to you in some way, or is it is it completely fiction? I mean, I, I think you know, I'm I'm hearing a lot of what you're saying, and I'm resonating with a lot of it. Like the idea of like fictionalizing some something that is really difficult uh, to you know create a degree of separation from it. Um, but yeah, no, it is it's an incredibly vulnerable piece of work. It's it's the the most vulnerable thing that I've ever done for sure. Uh, I'm scared. I'm scared not only because the subject matter is very scary, but because I feel like it's. And tell me if you if you relate to this too. Like it's it's so vulnerable to put yourself out there artistically and be like, this is this is what I am. This is this is what I'm interested in doing. And this show is really that. You know, like not only have I written it, I'm performing it. I'm also doing the sound design and uh, composing. Uh, which has been super fun, but really challenging. And I feel like, you know, I'm kind of, kind of, you know, uh, putting my hands out and being like, this is it, you know, this is kind of the thing. If you don't like it, I, I don't know really what else to offer here. Uh, so I, I don't know, man, like, I hope that it's received well, but uh, 
that's kind of, it kind of feels like that's all I can do is really open it up as much as possible in terms of the creative aspect and, and show my, show my hand a little bit. You know, it's a funny thing about, about this kind of, this kind of theater and this kind of show. Um, the, when you are the writer and performer, Mm. it's like, it's terrifying. Like the first time I performed this show, I was performed it at the Hamilton fringe Mm. and I had a dream. I was like, I'm just going to go. It's going to be a great day. I'm going to see a couple of shows. I'll take some time before my show. I'll eat a little bit of dinner and <laughs> then I'll go and do the show. You know, some time in between so I can digest the food. It's going to be yeah. a great chill day. And then I woke up on the day and I was like, I'm going to throw up today. <laughs> um, I didn't, but man, did I feel like it because, you know, an audience had not seen this show before. Yeah. And because it's, it's, it's my words, my performance. It's all me. I yeah. if it if it doesn't go well, I can't be like, well, that performer just really didn't. You know, you yeah. can't hide behind anything. Nothing to hide behind. That's exactly right. It can be terrifying. And combine that with the fact that my director was like, so remember, you've seen partners, the audience. So make sure that you make eye contact. Uh huh. Yeah. And I was like, you know, the 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 actor who you know that doesn't break the fourth wall was like. How do you, how do you do that? I make yeah. eye contact when you're talking about, yeah, but yeah. of course it makes sense that you have to connect with the audience. Yeah. And the first time, man, that contributed to my feeling I was going to vomit. Yeah, totally. So how did it feel when you actually did perform it? When I, I after that first performance, cause I cheated the first time I, like, I didn't yeah. look at people in the honest way yeah. between people, you know? Yeah. you know, the way that you fake that. Um, but then after that, after I'd gotten through that, um, the second show, was like an audience that was right with me mm. um and they were they were playing along like they they were there for the eye contact and like nice. became my scene partners nice um and it was it was uh it, so it was really great to to get to that point yeah. um so because it, it's so hard to especially the, i've never since then i've never performed a solo piece um widely except for like oh. a small performance before oh. the big show Right. You know, I've done some kind of like workshop in front of an audience that just oh. to, just to have something so that yes. I'm not, so that my first performance is not, you know, at the fringe when there's going to be like reviewers there and things like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think we're going to do the same thing, uh, later this week on Friday, yeah. we're going to have a small invited audience, which will be good. And so important, so important. Get to me, like that's your preview, get that, get it out so that you can, mm. When you get to Montreal for that first performance, you don't yeah. have those nerves. You're not like, I'm going to vomit today because that was not probably the best way to to start that day. Yeah. I mean, I got to be honest. I'm going to be a wreck. I, I will be a wreck. It's uh, we our first show is uh, next week, Friday. So wait, I guess I should probably say the date is June 7th, June 9th, somewhere in there. Um, yeah. June, June 9th. Yeah. Yeah, June 9th, that that Friday. So that's uh yeah. <laughs> I I I'm I laugh when I when you're telling the story of uh, you feeling like you're going to vomit cuz I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's going to be me one week from now. I'm going to be an absolute wreck." Just I mean, all I could all I could say about that is is know that it's going to happen and yeah. and adjust and 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 plan your day accordingly. Yeah, true. So true. And part of the journey, right? It is part of the journey because once you get past that, it's so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that first day. It's just that first day. Yeah, totally. 
I, I, in general, am not nervous at all performing. Uh, I only really get nervous about 10 minutes before the show starts um, the, of the first day for a show that I'm acting in. But this show, because of the nature of it and its vulnerability, it's uh, <laughs> I'm already nervous. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that there's something there's a difference between a show that you're acting in and a show that you created. So true. You know. And, and, and you kind of have to acknowledge that fact that, that these are two different things. Um, and that as a, as a person who created the show, I'm so much more invested than I would be if I was just acting in it. Yeah, absolutely. I care. I care so much yeah. more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something, that's something that we really explore, uh, in the show itself, actually, like the, the through like throughout the play very early on there's sort of hints that the the world is not exactly as it seems like kind of unreliable narrator type vibes as uh my character sort of introduces the show a little bit and starts to talk directly to the audience again and um it's something that i like that has developed and become a, a more prominent part of the story is the the blurred line between the actor and performer and, you know, the, it's something that I've been curious about because, you know, we all strive for vulnerability. We all want to be very vulnerable on stage or, you know, for something that we've written. Oftentimes, it's a story that is very close to us, especially a first show, I think. Um, and so that's something that we kind of leaned into with this play is this this idea of this this person is performing. But but it's it's like the, the edifice of the story and and the room itself is not is not exactly perfect. There's there's something that's wrong, something that's kind of shimmering in the light as the story develops and the pieces sort of start to crack and crumble around this character and more and more of the performer reveals himself, I guess is one way to put it. It's one of the things that 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 I found doing my show The Commandment is wow. is it you know, it has a funny premise, mm. you know, and so, and it's, you know, I, I call it a comedy. I'll call it a dramatic comedy so that people have an idea that maybe there might be a twist. Yeah. Um, but the number of people who somehow went to a comedy theater show yeah. and didn't expect that it was going to get serious. Oh boy. Um, that, that happens. Um, and about 80% of the time, everybody is, is willing to go with it. Oh, really? Oh, that's, oh man, I did not expect you to go in that direction. I'm so glad that you did because Toronto, okay, I'm going to get a little passionate here. Toronto does not, in in their program, they they only have drama, comedy, musical, and uh, uh, youth, and then like a couple other, and you know, unconventional venue. So we had to choose comedy or drama, and it is neither of those things, like, or more accurately, it's both in large part and so we had to choose like is it more drama or more comedy like it's both of those things are a lie to put it to put it in the program as that and so like i didn't want to scare people by calling it a drama because it's not but also to call it just a comedy i was like people are going to come in and they're going to expect you know a light airy comedy and this this play has a lot of bite to it you know it, it goes there and yeah I, I'm, I was scared. I'm scared that people are going to leave the theater being like, damn, I thought I bought a ticket for a comedy. Like, come on. 
I mean, it's hard. It's hard, right? Uh, you know, it's hard to. I, I made sure that I put dramatic comedy on as much stuff as yeah, I could. It was smart, right? Like as much as I could, I wanted to make sure that people knew there was drama and yeah. there was comedy. Yeah. Um, because you know, you want people to be prepared when they walk in there. Yeah. Um, but also, um, you want people to, if if the audience is going with you, mm-hmm. as the solo performer. Mm-hmm. They'll go where you take them. Yeah, nice. You know, if if you've connected with them, yeah, they will go where you take them. Yeah, for the most part. Every so often, there's somebody who's like, I couldn't deal, but they're they're fortunately in the minority. Nice, nice. Well, that's that's uh, that's heartening. Do you have any experience in uh, clown, Phil? A little bit, a little yeah. bit. I did clown. I mean, years ago when I was in. The theater school. We we yeah. did some clown stuff. Of course. And uh the 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 shows that we did with Keystone Theater, uh three of them premiere premiered at the Toronto Festival of Clown. Mm, nice. So it was sort of I mean it's not it wasn't red nose clown, but it was technically clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um yeah, I I I'm just hearing what you're saying about uh taking the audience with you and I think Clown is something that I draw a lot of inspiration from. I haven't done a yeah. whole lot of it, but it's something that I think inspires my work in large part. Uh, and yeah, the idea of like really connecting with the audience and really being present to what's actually going on in the room rather than creating, like trying to hold on to your idea of what the show should be. That that I think is the real beauty of Clown and what every performer should take from Clown is take you have to meet the audience where they're at you can't make them be in any position that they that they don't want to be in or have any sort of reaction that they're not going to have you know you just have to really meet them where they are and be like okay we're, we're gonna go here now okay you with me it's like and, and some people are gonna shake their heads some people are gonna not it's like okay so let's try to go in this direction right it's a really interesting uh uh, uh spot to be in because you know, one thing that I realized, and it's been sort of a thing that I've I've, I've carried through since we did the the show that we toured, um, uh, the Last Man on Earth, because you know, as a show that's a, a, a silent film, nobody on stage is talking, right? Um, and so the only sound is the is the piano, and the piano is helping to tell the story. But what we found was that is that audience members had different perceptions of what was happening in the scene. Wow. They all enjoyed it. They all got to the same place, but they would have different perceptions. And we started out trying to correct people. All right. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. But then after a while, it became like so fascinating to us. Like, t- like we'd be like, oh, that part where this happened, you'd be like, oh, tell me about that. I want to hear about, about that and what you saw there. Like, it, it becomes so, so like interesting to see how people connect the dots. And what I've, what I've sort of learned from that is... All you can control is what you are doing. You cannot control what the audience sees or 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 where they go. Mm-hmm. If they come with you, great. If they don't, wasn't for them. Yeah. And you just kind of have to accept it. And it can be hard. But like you were saying, you can't take somebody they don't want to go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. What a gift. That's something that uh, that has been so joyful for me in in the sharing of this piece. That, you know, up until six, well, I guess maybe seven months now, nobody had seen it. It had only existed in my brain. And now I've had the scary luxury of sharing it with a few select people 
and hearing their thoughts about it and the way that they read it, you know, their ideas about what, what each scene is, is so fascinating and enjoyable. And they're like, oh yeah, this part, you know, this part is like this. And I'm like, oh, I, I didn't get that at all, but that's great. Um, and you know, I, I love that. I love when artists, I'm glad that I can take that attitude, you know, because I think it's something that I admire in other artists when they can say, this belongs to you as much as it does to me. As soon as it's out there, it's out of your hands. You know, you're, you're giving it out to other people and saying like, okay, here, you, you can hold this now. And I think that's, that's such a gift. That's such a gift of art because everybody's going to be holding it differently. Like you say, everyone's going to react to the show in a completely different way and see things that even you never expected to see. Like, yeah, I love that. Because there are two ways to deal with it, right? There's two ways to deal with um, people um, not who see different things in it than you do. Yeah. One is to tell them they're wrong and to explain to them, you know, what what the right interpretation is. Yeah. Which entirely destroys and negates their the experience that they felt. And is a yeah. really alien way to go, alienating way to go about it. Um, and the other is just to indulge them and ask them about 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 why they thought that and things like that. Because, you know, like you said, once you've done it, once you put it out there, it's theirs. They're the ones that have the memory of it. So true. After you've performed it like twenty times, you'll have almost no memory of of individual performances. Yeah. But yeah. they will. Yeah. So true. Um. Yeah, something that I love about theater, I, I, I yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm actually really curious. I want, I want to actually ask you this question first. What, what draws you to theater, Phil? Like, what, what is, what is the thing that has kept that this art form has kept your attention for longer than any other? Um, I, I will tell you, I will tell you, it's, it's to me, it is the immediacy. It is the fa- there's, there's a couple of things. First off, an audience in a theater is able oh. to suspend their disbelief in a way that um an audience watching a show on television or a movie will not mm-hmm. um if i'm on stage and i say and now i'm underwater we'll put blue lights on or something but everybody will be like yeah we're underwater you know uh-huh. that sort of thing people will go along with it mm-hmm. the other thing is the immediacy because we are all in the room everything that is happening is happening here and now it's not like it happened when it was filmed and now we're watching the echo of it it's happening here and the thing that has struck me, and this has stuck with me for for like 30 years since I, yeah. I did this show, I was doing a, a production of the Scottish play. And I was one of the murderers that goes, the, 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 you know, the lead murderer that kills Macduff's family. And Lady Macduff had a baby. And she was carrying the baby. And, and so she knows we're there to kill her. And I take the baby and I act like it, the baby's going to be fine. Give the baby a little pat on the head, a little caress. And then a twist and this little piece of balsa wood that's in the swaddling clothes just does a tiny little pop. Oh. And the entire audience. Oh my God. Gasps in horror. Wow. In a way that like, if you did that on screen, there's a separation and nobody would react that way. Mm, So true. And so the things that we do in the theater, a slap, people will gasp and they do that only in the theater. They don't do that in a movie they only do that when it's live because it's happening right there and that's what keeps me making theater because it is immediate it's happening right now and after we've done this tonight it's gone yes yeah totally 
Yeah, I, I, yeah. Even hearing you tell that story, I'm like riveted as you're telling me it's a, it's a fake baby, and she's handing it to me, and I'm swaddling this fake baby, and then I crack. There's a little snap. It's like, oh, even me, even me now. I'm like, oh no, you know. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. So it's so visceral to them. Totally right. I, yeah, absolutely. And you're so right. Is that we we can connect? I think I don't know. Maybe maybe that's true. We can connect with people in the room so much easier than any other way. Being able to see the person right there in front of you is is such a such a tangible feeling of connection. Well, you feel them breathing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so the audience feels the performer breathing. The performer feels the audience breathing. And when you have a moment where everybody is breathing at the same time, yeah, that's when it becomes electric. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how I started this tangent, but anyway, <laughs> I was thinking that I was just thinking to myself about like th- what I really like about the theater and the reason that it has kept me coming back is it. It I I love the ephemeral nature of it. I love that. It happens, and like you say, you, oh, this, we were talking about people holding on to it and it existing in their memories rather than yours. I, I love that you do it, and then it disappears, and that it it can only be consumed in the moment that it's made. There's something so beautiful about that, like being forced to let it go and not being able to hold on to it for one moment longer than it is. Yeah, and I I, I think only in live performance is that true like and yet it's true of every type of art but we can trick ourselves into believing that we can come back to the same moment of you know seeing a painting or listening to a song until we we completely drain it of all emotion there's there's this sense that we have control over the consumption of it Mm -hmm. but it but live performance and theater it just it begs you to say, this is the one moment that you have with it. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it. And now it's going to be gone because that's how life works with everything. Yeah. It's always fascinating because you can record a show. You can like oh. do an archival recording of a show. You know, you could do that. Keep it, you know, but then that recording is just a recording of one night and it might not have been your best night. Yeah. You know, it's the night that you, that you recorded and it has to be as good as you can get it. But you know, another night things will be different. And so even though there's a recording of a show, another night would be something entirely different. Yeah, totally. Uh, Nicholas, one of the things that that I really like to to talk to about people and and the idea of what keeps you going in theater, I want to come back to this for you. Mm. Um, but, um, one of the things that, that, that I love to talk about on this show is the origin story Mm. what is it that made you want to do theater Mm -hmm. yeah great question um yeah it's 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 one of those things there there's many ways that i could answer that question but what it really started with was doing some after school program that my mom had signed me up for my mom had wanted to be an actor in her youth and she let it go so that she could have kids. Uh, she really wanted to have a stable career right off the bat. And so she she let that sort of dream go so that she could have me, her firstborn son. And so she signed me up for you know, some master school programs and 
you know, sort of experimented around with it. And then I think, I think it was maybe 13 when we had our first performance and it went really well and I, I did a good job. And even the, there's an archival video of that uh, performance and I can still go back and watch it and be like, yeah, you, you know what? I was 13, but I did, I did an okay job. And I think that was really the catalyst that led to me being in theater now. Being 13 years old and being good at something is uh, unreal. Like th that, that is the most addictive feeling for any youth, you know, to feel like adults are looking at you being like, how did you do that? that like what, what a joy, what, what an absolute gift it is to, to look at, to look at other people and being like, wow, I'm, I'm actually doing a good job probably for the first time ever because I'm just learn you know, I'm, I'm learning and like trying to mime what other people are doing and doing my best to fit into this weird world that I'm uh, uh, unfamiliar with. And then all of a sudden I'm better than other people at something else like that. That was just, uh, it's, it's just too, too exciting. It's too exciting of a thing to pass up. And so I sort of kept going with that and I wanted to be an actor um, and kept going with that through high school. And then I was like, I was like, okay, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to, I'm going to just focus and try to be an actor. And my dad was like, no, you, you have to, you have to go to college or university. I'm like, okay, fine. And so I went to George Brown college and at George Brown, you know, that was an incredibly difficult time as theater school sometimes is. But I, I fell in love with theater. Like I just started going to the theater more and uh, I absolutely fell in love with it. I, I couldn't I couldn't get enough of it. I I was like, this this is the art form. And even now, it's it's the thing it, it's the only art that is satisfying to me as the consumer. Like I have a very addictive personality. I I I will listen to a song into the ground until it's gone. I will you know, accidentally scroll, doom scroll for m more hours than I'm proud of. But theater is so satisfying. Even a show that I don't like, when I, when I go out to the theater and I'm in a room with other people watching a show, it's like, it's like an exhale after the show is over. I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> it's just satisfying in a way that nothing else is, really. So a lot of people do theater when they're kids. Right. And a lot of people do... Um, you know, for their teenagers, they do something in, in public school, in high school, whatever it is. Um, but not everybody, because um, most people that I went to high school that we did theater with, they didn't go into theater. Um, mm -hmm. At what point did you realize that this was going to be the thing in high school when you were like, it's time to start talking about careers? And when were you like, no, the only thing I'm going to do, I want to do is theater? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's it's a funny thing like it's kind of just one of those things that I, I've just kept doing because I can and because I, I like it it's n I, even now and maybe this is a, ge a generational thing because I think a lot of people my age don't don't like you I feel like every I look around at everybody and everybody sort of holds their career whatever it may be in an open palm like you can't you can't really commit too hard to anything or else you become too rigid because of the state of the world right now and everything being in constant flux and all of these, uh, uh, you know, new types of companies coming into the picture, 
tech, crypto, and then you know everything disappears. Like the the turnaround of anything is so fast now. the The idea of holding onto a career for any extended period of time it, it seems like a pipe dream. Anyway, I'm I'm getting political, <laughs> um, but that's basically been my experience with theater is like I, I wake up every day and I'm like, do I want to keep doing this? And I decide that I do. And that's pretty much been the way that it is. You know, I, I've never been like, th this is the only thing I want to do. It's just, it's just the thing that I've wanted to do for any six month period of time. When I look six months into the future, I'm like, okay, am I, am I going to take this contract for this show? That's uh, a little ways down the road, or do I want to maybe start thinking about doing something else? And time and time again, I've picked this, and I feel really glad for it. But you know, I, it's it's not a marriage, I guess, to use a, a poor metaphor of something that is eternal. Well, it, it I mean, it never it never is, and that's the thing is, you know, you look at you look at if you were to 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 go to George Brown uh, and look back at the class of 93, I think, mm. um, um, you would see a young me mm. and you would see a lot of other people, most of whom are no longer pursuing theater. Mm, so and that's not a failure on their part. Definitely not. It's, you know, you realize at a certain point that you just don't have the passion for it anymore. And so you do something else. Yeah. Um, and, and leaving the theater is 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 not a mark of failure no because you should only do it as long as you're enjoying it as long as it's fun and as long as it gives you something that's worth that's worth having as soon as those things stop you should stop yeah. and you know it just we should celebrate the fact that you did it at all yeah totally and i think that's that's kind of what makes it so awesome is that it, nobody who is in the theater doesn't love the theater like if they if they didn't they wouldn't be here because it's like there's nothing uh, <laughs> you know it, it, you could go in a, a completely different direction and ha be more stable make more money you know and have less stress on your mind but if everybody chooses to be in the theater for whatever reason and i love the fact that you ask everybody what the thing is because i think that's a super interesting question but everybody's here because they want to be because it's mm -hmm. Pa something that they are passionate about and so and and when they stop being passionate they can go and yeah. i think everybody's like that and so when you meet somebody that's part of the theater you're like here's something that we both love like you know when you meet someone as uh, like uh, a, a best friend's new girlfriend or something and you're yeah. like we both we both love this person so we have a common a, a great common ground to start with yeah. that's how i feel about the theater it's like i we both love this one crazy wacky thing so let's you know Let's fall in love with each other, you know, that kind of thing. Well, you know, I mean, ain't nobody getting rich, so you have to love it. Exactly. It, right? Exactly. Um, so get, tell me again all of the cities that you're doing the Fringe uh, in. Yeah, sure thing. Okay, so it's Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Winnipeg, Kingston, London, and Halifax. So it's a, it's a good... It's a, it's, a, it's a good spread of different Fringe cultures, so... Mm. Um, you're in for you're in for a treat. Yeah. Um, as far as um, getting ready, yeah, to do this tour, yeah. Is there something aside from the performance aspect mm. that scares you the most? Oh, that's a good question. Um, can I think about that for one second? Yeah, absolutely. 
while you're thinking, let me let me give you like a, a yes, yeah. like when I was yeah doing a show in a different city. Um, regardless of whether or not it was the oh, I was doing a solo show and traveling with that, or or taking the, the a show with with four other actors and one mm-hmm. piano player to another city. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that scared me was that in many cases I did not know what was waiting for me when I arrived. Mm. Like, in, for the most part, I did not know the place I was going to before I got there. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know how, where I was, where was my billet, where was the place I was staying in comparison with the theater. Um, I didn't know like how that fringe operated. Um, everything was a, uh, a mystery to me. And that was kind of the thing that scared me the most was like, you know, especially when I was traveling basically by myself as a solo performer, like mm. it's terrifying to, to, to go to a city and be like, all right, we're fi- I'm figuring this out like the day before my show. Mm, yeah. For me, that's what's, that's what terrified me. Yeah. I think, I, I think in that same vein, um, I'm, I'm a very, uh, I, what's the opposite of nomadic? Stower? You're a home Yeah. You're- <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like, I like setting down roots, you know, and, uh, I think that has drawn a lot of nomadic type people in my life. Um, but that I think for me is probably the thing that scares me the most is going to a new city and being kind of, um, uprooted and then having to be vulnerable on stage in front of so many people without having like a base to go back to that I feel comfortable in and that's home. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that that part is probably going to be pretty tough. It's, you know, it's, it's funny how quickly you figure it out. Oh, okay. That's it's great. funny how quickly you figure out how to find a spot for yourself. Mm. Um, sometimes maybe it's like a, a, a like a corner behind the theater that that you just mm. sort of like take a breath at before a show, or like there's there's always there's a thing that you you very quickly figure out what is going to be your thing here. Mm. Um, so it's terrifying not to know what it's going to be when you arrive, but yeah, you figure it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. This is this has been a very encouraging conversation. Phil. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. So, what is what is the thing that it, that most excites you then about about this tour? Um, I think the thing that excites me the most is it's the show that I wanted to make. It has become something that I really care about and that I dreamt about. A long while ago and I feel I feel proud of it I feel like it it is it is like I say representative of the type of work that I want to do and it's representative of me both as a person as an artist and I feel glad to be able to show that off um and if that goes po- like it's kind of one of those things where if if you can really feel like there's n- nothing that you could have done differently it, it's hard to have any regrets about anything. Like if if you don't have any regrets, it, you can you can do it without without any reservation. Um, and that's what I feel. I I feel really glad that it it it's something that I like and something that uh, I think is you know representative of me as an artist. Mm. Nice. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to show it off to people and 
see what they think. And if it resonates with people, that's, I think that's awesome. I hope, my hope is that people will see it and that, that it'll speak some truth to them because it, it's a, it's a funny show and it's, it's light and I think will be really enjoyable, but it also has a lot of hard to swallow truths Mm. that I think exist in me and from the people that I've shared it with exist in other people too. So I hope that people can, you know, relate to the the story that I'm trying to tell here. Great. Yeah. Well, Nicholas, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy.